Hello, and welcome back for our 11th episode of Opportunity Thrives, where we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers. We want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can have a positive and lasting change. And we would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. So you can just click in the podcast notes to leave us a review. You can provide input or send us questions. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. Summer slide is a common issue in education. What's not fully known is the impact that the summer slide will have in the fall when it's compounded by the, by the learning loss from the school closures during the, the COVID-19 pandemic this spring. In this podcast, we will address that scenario, that a large number of students may fall behind or develop significant gaps in their learning. We will also discuss potential solutions to address learning loss, as well as resources available and best use cases where districts are successfully addressing student learning gaps. And we're excited to introduce our guest, Gene Sharp. Gene has more than 25 years of leadership and management experience in education and software publishing industries. Her expertise includes product development, curriculum strategy, instructional design and development, project management, and effective implementations for digital learning solutions. Among her credits are numerous award-winning educational software products that are published both for school and consumer markets. Jean currently serves as a board member for the Digital Learning Collaborative. To start, Jean, would you please share just a little bit more about your personal background and why you're so passionate about ensuring that students have the opportunity to learn? Oh, thank you for asking, Jason. My career has been focused on serving K-12 education from both the school and the educational publishing perspective. In fact, I, as a teacher, I recall the day my classroom door opened and my principal came into the room with one computer on a rolling cart. My students were so eager to learn with technology, and candidly, we dove in to learn together. Along the way, I had an opportunity to join an organization who partnered with the University of Minnesota to form the Center for the Study of Educational Technology. And it was there that we applied the research in learning and instructional design to create educational software that was used in classrooms across the country. I spent many years on the publishing side of education, but at one point I had an opportunity to work with an organization that partnered with public schools to establish academies serving the needs of non-traditional students through alternative ed programs. Our student population was primarily those who had dropped out of high school or who were at risk of not graduating. And in our academies, we use digital curriculum and a blended learning model to personalize learning and give students a path to recover the credits that they needed to graduate. We worked with districts across the country, and I spent time on campuses with teachers supporting the implementation of the program. I must say that each experience has had an impact on me in a different way. But without a doubt, my work in the academy solidified my belief that education is a key factor in determining your future. It was such a privilege for me to be part of offering a second chance for so many students. Boy, that's great. And I think it also uniquely prepared you for the scenarios that we're facing today. So, so thank you for joining us. 
Um, Gene, many students and numerous research reports are illuminating significant learning loss for secondary students this fall. Do you agree that that there will be major issues for districts? And if so, what do you envision are some of the solutions that they could could use to potentially resolve these issues? Well, first of all, yes. And unfortunately, Jason, it's not an issue limited to our secondary students. It's a concern for all students who have been away from the classroom for such an extended period of time. And I would suggest that there are actually a number of factors that contribute to our concerns about learning loss, several of which are rather unique to the current state of COVID. Uh, Let me elaborate a little bit. The first one, I think, is access. If learning is to happen, students must have access to tools that help facilitate learning, and that includes devices and internet connectivity to access learning online. The second factor that influenced learning loss is time. When schools began to close, most of us anticipated this would last a few weeks. But as time went on and schools closed for the balance of the school year, the concern deepened. And the longer schools are closed, most agree that educational disparities will open up and it's inevitable that learning gaps will deepen. A third factor that I think contributes to the learning loss is our teacher readiness. The transition to emergency remote learning has simply never been done before, particularly at this scale. Our teachers work so hard to provide students with learning packets and classroom assignments, even teacher-led lessons online, all to create some sense of that classroom. But the reality is that teaching in a virtual environment was new for many of our teachers, and most of them found that the majority of their time was spent troubleshooting technology and communicating with parents, not teaching as they know it. I would also suggest that another factor was just the environment of learning from home. You see, in the classroom, teachers oversee the learning environment, but in the home, the learning environment poses some new challenges for that continuity of learning for students. Parents and caregivers were thrown into the role of managing the daily lessons and assignments for their children. And for most parents, some who were working from home or going to work as essential workers, learning was happening when and if it could. And if students needed parental support to complete their assignments, well, (laughs) the reality of emergency remote learning becomes pretty clear. Finally, the last factor that I would suggest has had an impact on learning loss, unique again to our current situation, is we're very much aware that not all of our students have engaged in online learning during these school closures. In fact, in late March, the Los Angeles Times came out with the first report of student engagement online. And at that time, they were reporting that 15,000 Los Angeles high school students were absent online and had failed to do any schoolwork. And more than 40,000 of them had not been in contact with their teacher on a daily basis since the coronavirus forced campus shutdowns. It was early data but it was already signaling to education experts that the digital divide, particularly among underserved students, as well as students who lacked engagement and strong personal connection to their classes, would likely contribute to that deepening achievement gap. Now, let me address the second part of your question. What are some of the solutions that we can consider to resolve these issues? 
I think we're all well aware that districts are right now in the process of figuring out what the fall looks like. But educational leaders are very, very focused on tackling learning loss. Some that we hear are considering how the summer timeframe can actually be used to target some of our most vulnerable students and provide them with opportunities to remediate on skills. And if students return to school in the fall in smaller groups, perhaps students who need the most support for learning may be best served in those face-to-face classroom environments where they have more support from their teachers. Whatever the scenario looks like, I think it's pretty clear that teachers will need efficient ways to assess students' academic readiness against their grade-level goals and expectations, and then provide remediation to focus each student on their learning needs and progress towards grade-level goals. Thanks for setting the context and enumerating some of the, the challenges and barriers that educators and students and teachers faced. And thanks for opening the door to some, some hope for opportunities um, that, that we can solve these problems in the fall. Jean, in the, in the past, I know you've spoken uh, about creating a culture of learning that offers second chance to students who've, who've missed out on educational opportunities previously in their academic career. And, and often it's through no fault of their own. So what do you believe that districts can do to help anticipate what students will need from schools, and especially as they begin this long road back to school in the fall? Yeah, and um, first of all, I think we're all eager to welcome students back to school, whatever school looks like in the fall. When I think about reengaging students in learning, though, there are some promising practice that I've learned through my work in dropout recovery and dropout prevention, and I think they're very applicable to a restart for the school year. We always talked about the fact that first and foremost, relationships matter. In fact, many education experts believe that the teachers' relationships with their students before school closed affected whether some students even showed up online. And teachers, the ones that were best able to take lessons online, already had really strong relationships with their students and their families. So I think to engage students in learning, we have to start with student and teacher relationships. The second thing that I learned is that we have to meet students where they are. And quite frankly, there is no more urgent time to think about that than as we bring students back to school. Teachers are going to need to quickly determine what students need, not collectively, but individually, and to create these personalized learning pathways to progress toward their goals. Personalized learning ensures that every student is working on what they need to know and do. It makes it relevant, it makes it matter, and it affords kids with the opportunity for some early success that they can build on. Another aspect that we learned was uh, this notion that we called go slow to go fast. I think students are going to need a period of time for readjustment to be back in school. And in the beginning, many of us expect that addressing the social and emotional needs of our students is going to be critical to get to the learning needs that students have. We may also need to help students with effective learning skills and strategies, in other words, learning how to learn, things like taking notes and managing their time and preparing for a quiz or a test. So I think it's really important that we use this time at the beginning of the school year, not necessarily to 
jump into the full academic load, but to use the time to build our students' capacity as learners. And finally, Jason, I would tell you that the other thing we talked about a great deal from an academy perspective and the population of students we were serving is you have to give them hope and a future. And I think that starts with believing that all your students can learn by setting expectations and equipping them with the tools and and resources they need to meet those expectations and to encourage them to to stretch beyond what even they think they can do. That gives them hope for their future. That's great, Jean. Uh, your your first comment, you talked about the importance of building relationships. I'm going to pick up on that a little bit. And there's this av- this adage that I've heard you say many times in the past, and it's that students, they don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. So thinking that through, how do you foster a culture of learning that helps students feel heard and that we as educators we, we care about their progress and meeting their goals, and we can demonstrate that. Absolutely. From my experience, this is about creating a student-centered learning environment. It was a priority for us to put students at the center of the learning and support them as they took steps toward their goal. Sometimes that meant that the best thing we could do was acknowledge that they had made the choice of being in school today. So we did that by acknowledging students in ways that demonstrated interest in who they were, and of course, with the appropriate empathy for their current situation. But we focused on removing the excuses that students use and instead considered the choices that they could make to take ownership of their learning. We believed every student could learn. We tailored learning to what each student needed with teachers serving that critical role of the learning coach. And together that helped create a culture where students felt like they were listened to, where they had choice, and that their input mattered, their direction mattered. Jean, you mentioned hope in one of your previous statements. And I think about our students who are coming back and they, they've got significant gaps in their learning. And maybe previously in their academic career, they have, they have struggled. How can we propose or how can we support students who are often the hardest to reach and who often struggle? Yeah, I'll be candid with you. For many of our students in our academy, school was not a place they wanted to be. Rather, it was a place where they experienced failure, where they had conflict with teachers sometimes, and in many cases where they simply didn't feel welcome or capable or valued or felt like they belonged. There's a a saying that comes to mind uh, for me, and that is, we all survive according to the measure of our hope. You have to give them hope in their future, and each day we focused on really preparing our students for next. And sometimes those next were really small steps, the next lesson or the next quiz that they had to take, the next choice they could make. What were they going to do the next day? What was the next course? And what was their next step towards graduation? We had to believe that our students had a future and we focused on preparing them for it every single day. I love that statement about hope. I want to I want to dig in and find out who who the author was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you think that uh, flexibility is going to be a main priority as districts are considering their options this fall? 
As we look at things today, it has to be. We're hearing very clearly from districts that they are developing multiple scenarios for the fall. And that includes a continuation of online learning, uh, perhaps a hybrid model with some face-to-face and some online learning, and a face-to-face model, but with contingencies for rolling school closures. Add to that, quite frankly, what we're hearing that parents may want their students to stay in a remote learning environment for a while, or if they return to school, they want to ensure that their children are safe and fed and learning as the new school year begins. And I anticipate that district plans will continue to evolve throughout the summer. That means that flexibility and agility will be required from all of us in order to meet the needs of our students. I'm going to tap into your vast expertise and experiences, especially when it comes to supporting uh, students who might be struggling or are helping districts as they navigate this path. If you have one final suggestion for districts to keep in mind as they help students navigate their paths forward and keeping students on track, what would that what would that final suggestion be? Now, Jason, the first thing that comes to mind for me is to make learning matter. I think we found ourselves this spring in a set of circumstances that necessitated some flexibility and grace. So flexibility was given regarding student grades for the spring, for state testing, for graduation requirements that were eased, in large part because we were in some very uncharted waters and we certainly didn't want students to feel punished for something that they had no control over. But it also led to some apathy and disengagement in learning. And we simply can't let that happen for our students and their future. So I guess my suggestion is rather than lowering our expectations for students based on the circumstances, let's set clear expectations for learning and then do everything we can to come around our students to support them in their efforts to achieve them. I loved your statement on hope, and especially for students. And I think that 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 rings true for educators as well. And I think (laughs) what we can walk away with this from is feeling that sense of hope that in the fall, we can do it. And there are challenges ahead, but there are ways to get there and ways to bring our students along and make sure that they're successful. So Jean, I wanna thank you for joining us today. You certainly helped me feel reassured that we can get through these uncertain times. And I agree with you that, that when we do welcome our students back to school, whatever that looks like, we must recommit to making school a place where students are welcomed, they're acknowledged, where learning is focused and it's and relevant, where instructional approaches consider the specific needs of each student and where we encourage students and prepare them for what's next. I want to thank you again for your your time today. We look forward to listener feedback on today's show. Please reach out to us with questions or comments at info at opportunitythrives.com or write us a review on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks so much for listening in today and we will see you next time. 